every Sunday I'ma marry me one day True love ain't something you can buy yourself True love finally happens when you buy yourself So if you buy yourself, then go and buy yourself Another round from the bottle on the higher shelf
Good morning, everybody. Uh, you are listening to uh, Listen Local, um, Mission Local's uh, radio broadcast. My name is Julian Mark. I'm your host, and I'm a reporter at Mission Local, and I'm here with uh, Mission Local's managing editor and columnist, uh, Joe Eskenazi. Joe, how are you doing this morning? I'm tired, man. It's what? election week. <laughs> why are you, Why are you tired? Tell me. Tell me a little bit well, about what I told this you off mic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The the washing machine broke for the third, and then I'm going uh-huh. to say final time. Uh-huh. And uh, I could hear it leaking, uh, and it was leaking down through the floorboards and into the basement. So I had to actually get between the levels of the house with a bucket to catch everything. Wow. And then I tried to pull this incredibly heavy object out of the alcove uh, so I could get behind it and mop up the mess, and it got jammed half in and half out of the uh, the kitchen. And I can't get it back. Well, it sounds like you uh, might as well have just bought a new washing machine, right? I, uh, you know, th- this is uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> um, well, you know, that isn't the only um, big uh, big event of the week. You, no, uh, I'd, I'd say spent, there are a few others. Yeah, right. You spent you spent a good amount of time, um, you know, catching up to the votes as they came in, and I just want to, you know, let's start off. You know, there are two. You know, of course, London Breed got her first, uh, you know, elected. Uh, you know, was voted in for a first full term. That was mm-hmm. bi- that was big. Um, and and you know, people are trying to say, well, sixty eight percent is it good enough? It's it's good enough. It's good. Yeah, and it's yes. it's good <laughs> enough. I mean, like you'd have to be extraordinarily petty to try and detract from her on that. Uh, Gavin Newsom got seventy four percent against a larger field of crazy people, but like uh, and better, higher quality crazy people. Uh, but that's kind of neither here nor there. Uh, I do, however, see signs for concern. Uh, a vast number of people voted for nobody for mayor, uh, mm. more than more than fifteen thousand. And Ellen Li Zhao, who is a racist uh, nobody, uh, got fourteen percent of the vote. Well, you know, I mean, she did. Uh, you know, That's do we lot. know? Do we know where those votes came from? Because I, I would, would, I, would they, I would guess, guess it came from Chinese people. Yeah. Yes. But that also, to me, would indicate that uh, it's going to be harder and harder to rely upon um, right-leaning Chinese American voters as part of your base. Uh, for the moderates in San Francisco and some of the more mm. progressive instincts that London Breed has, such as um, uh, shooting uh, in- injection uh, zones right. or, or any kind, anything to do with marijuana at all, mm-hmm. uh, are going to be uh, vehemently uh, objected to by this group of people. But the question is, does it matter? And I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, really? I mean, I mean, do they, will they, do they show enough force in San Francisco to change the tide of, 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 of somebody in elected office? Uh, I believe Chinese Americans are one third of the registered voters in San Francisco. Right. And this was a low turnout election. So let's see what happens the next time that they want to, uh, to pass a bond. It sounds you know? like, well, that's true, but it sounds like, it sounds like Breed is in for good or not as in for good, she, but as long be, as she, she'll be in for as long as she wants or unless something bad happens that, right. that, that would have to be, you know, San Francisco voters are willing to turn a blind eye to incredible things. Right. So, right. uh, it, it, personal peccadilloes, it would, it would not be that. I mean, mm-hmm. Willie Brown was, was, uh, you know, shoveling money and contracts to his, his, uh, his paramours, uh, and nobody cared, um, and you know, and and his his relationships outside his marriage were things that nobody cared about. Right, uh, <laughs> right, right. You know, when Ross Mercurimi did it, he couldn't pull it off. But uh, but you know, not everybody, not everybody's Willie Brown. And um, so so it would take something beyond personal shortcomings. Um, it would take some manner of 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 thunderclap, a federal investigation, some some incredible mistake. Maybe maybe like a a, a quid pro quo on a phone call. Uh, even that, <laughs> <laughs> as as we've shown, it's it doesn't do that much damage. Um, so, uh, but that was the least exciting. Um, that was the least exciting part of the race. And I guess I'll just kind of start out. Um, 
you know, one of the big stories, I think, of of this race, um, you know, in particular, that it kind of spread across uh, the country a little bit was the uh, the district attorney's race. And, um, you know, that was mainly in part uh, or that was in part, you know, because uh, Chesa Boudin, who, you know, is, you know, considered uh, in quotes, you know, radical royalty because of his upbringing in the mm-hmm. uh, the weather underground uh, and his status as a public defender running for district attorney um, is is unusual and, you know, interesting and newsworthy. Um, so it's um, how is um, and he was he's running against an establishment uh, choice, uh, you know, he's running by, against more conventional right, opponents, right? Conventional opponents. Yeah. yeah. And and so, you know, Susie Loftus, who was um, and we can talk about this, was installed uh, just just, you know, hours before ballots arrived at people's homes uh, by the mayor as the interim D.A., uh, I, you know, I've, I've always thought, and it's my personal opinion, that Susie Loftus is a, is a solid city worker, is, is, you know, is, is reliable and, and, a, and a, you know, you, a high end of, of what you can get in San Francisco. She's a, she's a, she's good. So, you know, but she is not going to be revelatory as a prosecutor. You know, it would not, it would be somebody who, you know, on the, you know, if she can do what she promises, she would she would bring order to this office, and would be a competent and and efficient, practical, and just, just a good prosecutor, right? And you know would be more li- would be liberal in terms of what we expect from our prosecutors now. Kamala Harris was still busting people for pot, you right. know. Kamala Harris had no problems with cash bail, despite what you hear on the campaign trail now, and that's fine. People change, you know. And and Susie Loftus would reflect the fact that people, you know, don't don't. Don't feel that way anymore. Susie Loftus is not going to be, despite the fact someone was charged for pot uh, under her as interim DA. That that was apparently a mistake, et cetera. And wasn't uh, Susie Loftus? Yeah. Um, she, she won't. She, she won't, worked she'll... for worked for Kamala Harris. Yes, yes. I mean, like you know, she's an experienced prosecutor. She would be. She would be on the liberal end. Uh, she would not be, you know, uh, putting people in jail for pot. She would not be, you know, trying to stack cash bail. She would be continuing George Gascon, the departed DA's, you know, move to do a cash bail. Uh, and but mostly, you know, the office. The argument is the office was very poorly run and morale was low, and she would clean that up, right? Whereas Chase Boudin would do things much differently, much differently. Just describe, you know, describe who Chase Boudin is. Well, Chase Boudin is the son of of convicted uh, 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 weatherman radicals that uh, that drove the getaway car in a bank heist that uh, left uh, three people dead, I believe, uh, guards, prison, I uh, sorry, mm. sorry, bank guards, and I think a police officer may have been killed too. I might be mistaken there. Suffice to say, three people were killed. Father is still in jail, probably never getting out. Mother was incarcerated, I believe, right. 17 years. Right. So the biggest part of his campaign is to end mass incarceration. This isn't traditionally what prosecutors do. In fact, in, in California, we have 125,000 people locked up. When I was born in 1976, that number was about like 18, 20,000, right? Wow. It's, wow. it's not like people were, were so much better then. I mean, like you watch Death Wish and you have, <laughs> you know, that that's what people were worried about at the time. And there was high, high, high violent crime, much higher than now. Right. Right. So one of the things that's changed among among others um, is that prosecutors have a lot more power now. People like Susie Loftus or Kamala Harris or George Gascon have a lot more power to lock you up because of what's called determinant sentencing. Uh, back in the 1970s, you had something called indeterminate sentencing where the judge had discretion and he could give you a wide he and invariably be a he in the 70s uh, would say 15 to 40 years or one to eight years. And that could be a huge pain because like you just don't know. And that, w- that wasn't perfect. 
now with determinant sentencing, it's, it is what it is. There's mandatory minimums, mm. and the prosecutor can decide what to do. The, the, how to charge is very much in the prosecutor's hands. And the prosecutor can give you 27 different charges, you know, on one incident, which more or less cajoles you into a plea bargain. And about 95% of these cases are plea bargained out. Yeah, right, now, the right. instance here is like, are you going to give 95 charges to the, uh, to the white-collar crime guy that, uh, that, that happened to drive drunk? Or are you going to give 95 charges to the black guy in Bayview who did the same thing? These are real issues that we have to, to work through, right? So suffice to say, like, the prosecutor's office can still be an extremely punitive place. And uh, while none of the candidates would, would claim that they wanted to do that, uh, you know, somehow it just keeps getting done in every prosecutor's office in the country. Well, I just, um, so how would, how would Chase Boudin... Chase Boudin's have, mission would, would be to end yeah. mass incarceration. Uh -huh. That doesn't necessarily mean uh, letting prisoners and, j and, and guilty people off scot-free, but it means taking a different approach. If you are a more um, law and order inclined person, if you're someone who's frustrated because your car got broken into... Uh, you don't want to hear that necessarily. You don't want to hear that the guy that broke into your car has problems too, and you know, and 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 we need to get to the root cause of this. It's like, no, I want that guy punished, right? You know, right? right. <laughs> um, someone who's a serial brazen porch pirate or, or various other things like this that that befuddle <laughs> uh, modern day San Francisco. I don't, I don't want kinder, gentler approaches to this. I want that person locked up, and you know, that wouldn't be happening. And and you would have someone who's a lifelong public defender running the district attorney's office and. I could foresee uh, easily um, problems with the line prosecutors in the office. Um, looking at his uh, non-relationship with the Police Officers Association Union, looking at um, the liberal establishment in San Francisco chanting "fuck the POA." But didn't hold you on. Know, but I didn't could, didn't could, uh, George Gascon have a very rocky relationship with with the San Francisco Police Officers Association? Not as I, bad as you think. I mean, like it, when he was when he was early in his tenure as DA and when he was police chief, his relationship was very transactional and fine. It was it was later well, that they saw him as as the 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 uh, the boogeyman, the bête noir of all San Francisco law enforcement, and were able to stoke that up. Right, right. But I mean that that. But that, even that, George uh -huh. Gascon was a a former Republican cop. Chesa Boudin is not that. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me how um, tell me how uh, they're doing. I mean, so just kind of walk me through how how this race has kind of played out. So it has shades of uh, Leno versus Breed uh, from last year mm -hmm, in which mm -hmm. uh, early absentees, who are people who get their ballots and vote right away, who tend to be wealthier, tend to be homeowners, and as you would expect, tend to be more conservative in the San Francisco spectrum. Um, as you'd expect, Susie Loftus was, uh, was doing well in these votes, but not, you know, beforehand, uh, Chase's people had said if they were 10 or more down, they would be nervous, and they weren't. It was like a five or six. And Nancy Tung was doing very well, too, because, you know, as the Chinese-American candidate, and then you're going to have a, a good degree of crossover in the Venn diagram between early absentee voters, you know, homeowning, uh, right-leaning people, and, and, uh, and Chinese-Americans, um, many of whom were inclined to vote for Nancy Tung. Mm -hmm. So she, I believe, got 24%. I think Chase had um, just a few ticks higher. And I think that Susie Loftus was up towards 30%. Then the second round came in at about 9.45 p.m. on election day, which is Tuesday. And that's people who voted on the day of the election. And it was the quickest turnaround I've ever seen. Uh, you know, Chase vaulted into the lead. Uh, you know, other candidates that we'll talk about later, you know, made up deficits immediately and vaulted into the lead. And as happened on, uh, with, with Leno versus Breed, 
I think people let that get the better of them and kind of, you know, uh, high-stepped a bit before the end zone and, and, and the defenders were, were not out of the picture. Right, uh, right. By right. the end of the day, Susie Loftus had taken a, a, sh- a small lead. You know, a small lead. It's 200 votes separating people in a citywide contest. Yesterday's results, Wednesday's results, were not good for either Chesa Boudin or Dean Preston, who's running to up uh, upend Supervisor Valley Brown in D5. Let's get, to Pre- let's get to Preston in a bit. But yeah. like, where, where yesterday's, does, where does yesterday's results were not good. Yeah. Because yesterday's re- in yesterday's results, uh, uh, Susie outperformed Chesa Boudin. And, and not only she narrowed the gap in number one votes, mm-hmm. she, uh, wow. you know, he still has more. But she, she, she made up on him, and she continued to, to outperform him in the ranked choice votes coming from Leif Douch and Nancy Tung, who, who came uh, thir- fourth and third, respectively. So where does that leave her opponent? Well, he's not in a bad place, but I'd have to say like today is going to be kind of um, a moment of truth mm-hmm. for, for all the candidates who are trailing. Uh, well, I mean, I think that he needs to he needs to rack up more number ones and he needs to transfer higher. And uh-huh. uh, racking uh-huh. up more number ones is a lot for me personally. It's easier to understand how that would happen than than transferring higher. Right, right, right. You know, uh, right. I can understand if you happen to come across batches of people, especially in districts where people would vote more for Leaf Douch. Uh, sorry for um, for Chase Boudin. I don't understand. Like once you get into the 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 double bank shot of um, of of of, of votes transferring in from other candidates, then I don't see why the patterns would change. I'd say he has an uphill battle. It's not impossible to make up 2,000 votes, you know, with 70,000 to count, but it would, it takes some doing. You know, these things are, are you don't get bolts of lightning, really. Uh, it's, so it's, if he doesn't, if things don't change today, it's kind of an uphill battle. It's, it's you know, I mean, like you can't say, that, that it's done, but but it it would be, it would be very hard if 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 patterns don't change today because because here's the deal: do late absentee voters who hold on to their ballots till the very end vote differently than early absentee voters? It doesn't look like it, right? right. And that's that's what we're seeing. So um, you know that it kind of uh, the 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 District Five race, which mm-hmm. covers the Hate Ashbury, um, ostensibly the most progressive but, uh, part of the city. Right. And um, so d- describe a little bit about this race. This is between incumbent supervisor um, Valley Brown mm-hmm. and uh, her you know, challenger, um, Dean Preston, who is a tenants' rights attorney, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So Valley Brown is a longtime uh, neighborhood activist who uh, then uh, bridged the gap and became uh, a legislative aide for first Ross Mercurimi and then uh, supervisor London Breed. Uh she was uh, one of the, the uh, legislative aides who was able to stick with uh, Breed, uh, both, and Mercury. And, you know, like, frankly, I'm not saying anything people don't know. Both of those supervisors were difficult to work for. So that she was able to, <laughs> to, to stick with them is, you know, I think it's a sign of, of that reflects well on her. This is somebody who, who, who can put her head down and get things done and work for the people, right? So mm-hmm. that's, that's a good sign, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, she was tapped by uh, Breed to take over District 5 and Breed... Uh, you know, ascended to the mayor's chair. Uh, this is a pretty smart choice because you knew that Dean Preston was going to run again. He ran against uh, Breed uh, four years ago. He came very close. Uh, he had no support from the institutional establishment, not mm. even from the progressives who uh, who would, you know, more or less cut their deals with the president of the board and, and either didn't endorse or you know, just kind of stayed away. Huh. And he got 48% of the vote. So he wow. was in a strong position to come back. Uh, appointing Valley Brown was smart 
it was the anti-Julie Christensen move. Mally mm-hmm. Brown has deep roots in the neighborhood. She's someone who has her own uh, her own connections, and you know was well positioned to run for this seat. Uh, but Dean Preston is you know it's it, he's running his campaign as well. Uh, it looked like it was his to lose. He lost momentum. He didn't get any endorsements. He lost labor endorsements. He lost the DCCC, which is the Democratic Party locally. Um, his campaign manager, uh, you know, very famously gave the finger to everybody, which, you know, is, is kind of a badge of honor among some uh, groups. But it's one of those, you know, should, should have just put your hands in your pocket and moved on to the next thing, maybe, yeah. uh, among, among others. Uh, where the race kind of took a turn, and we'll see if this, especially with these late absentees, is that mm-hmm. in mid-October, this SF Weekly ran a story that Valley Brown had, uh, as a younger person in 1994, 24 years ago, bought a house with three friends and evicted um, low-income black people. Right. Now, had she just said, yes, I did that, you know, that was bad, uh, you know, I was younger, uh, I've got 25 years of work here since then, I can, you know, what, what can I do to make it up to you? This would have been a 48-hour story, though Dean's people would have done everything to run with it. Uh, that didn't happen. Instead, Valley Brown claimed that these black people were freeloaders, uh, that the place was a dump, that they weren't even really living there, uh, that they refused to pay rent, uh, that they wouldn't negotiate, etc. It turns out that all of that was false. All of it. And it was all turned out to be documentably false because receipts turned up that they were paying rent. And, you know, um, on top of that, Valley Brown claimed that they these Black people had no agency, that they were being used against her by Dean Preston, that they have no, as if they had no thought and no input into, into, their, own, into their own complaints. Though, though, though it sounds like despite all of this, I mean, it was a, it was a major controversy. It was, it was kind mm-hmm. of, you but know. But it came they, late. They, it came very late. It was, it was like an October surprise. A little it was bit. an October surprise, but the fact is, is that the receipts only came out in very late October. And so, you know, if the strategy was to run the, run the clock out, to, sit, to kind of sit on the ball, that happened. You know, if Valley went into her four corners denial offense and, and ran out the clock, that happened. You know, so undeniably, sh- she was not telling the truth. I can't say that she was lying because maybe that she's, you know, been mistaken all this time and, you know, really thought she was telling the truth. Though that is, is quite a stretch. And either way, she defamed these people and dragged them in public and, you know, uh, evicted them and then as- assaulted their character publicly 48, right. you know, years later. But despite all this, but despite all this, mm-hmm. she's ahead now. She's ahead. Now, this is interesting, is that yesterday's batch of votes was astounding in that she outperformed Dean Preston by 16.7%. Wow. That she gained 306 votes on him out of only 1,800. That's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, that's crazy. And if anything like that happens again, like we could be, you know, this could be kind of uh, academic pretty soon. She's ahead of him only by 88 votes. We don't know how many District 5 b- ballots are outstanding, uh, but... Uh, P- Professor Jason uh, McDaniel from SF State kindly uh, ran the percentages of uh, how many outstanding votes are there, what percentage of votes came in from District 5, what, how often did, how, you know, what's the normal turnout for District 5, and yesterday he told me that there were maybe 7,000 or 8,000 outstanding ballots. So with 1,600 of those in the, in the can, she's up, uh, and maybe five to 6,000 to go, she's up 88 votes. So, but that was an amazing. I mean, the the way she she really pulled ahead yesterday is indicative of the fact that she could if, just if, run if away with If you're a Dean this. Preston person, you have to hope that those ballots that were counted yesterday were ones that people had kind of filled out a long time ago and kind of left sitting around and then mailed in, right? You know, if if that's how late absentee voters are going to vote, Dean's cooked. 
You know, I mean, like he that was a very bad day yesterday for him and a very good day yesterday for Valley Brown. Now, um, and I mean, so I mean, what does this say about the voters? I mean, what does it say about about the story that comes out and a, you know, somebody who, you know, it's so here's my own. Yeah, here's my personal biases. Right. Uh, I. I think San Franciscans are not as liberal as they profess to be. Uh huh. Uh, otherwise, someone like Chase Boudin wouldn't be such a wild uh, uh, shot in the dark, you know. Uh, for all that Susie Loftus has to offer, and 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 there's a lot of good, you know. She's not breaking the mold of a prosecutor, and uh, and and Chase Boudin would be, and and that was still uh, an anathema to a large number of San Franciscans, and you know I don't yet know if the knuckle dragging, you know. T- number one choice of, of criminals and gang members uh, ads from the police office association were effective or, or, or were counterproductive. So San Franciscans are never as liberal as, as they like to profess, especially when asked to do things other than like spend money on, on bonds and things like that. Uh, San Franciscans often say the city's going in the wrong direction and vote for the establishment candidate. Uh, that's happening on, that always happens on the citywide level. Uh, this would be, on, if, if Valley Brown, you know, uh, holds on the win in District 5, it would be on the neighborhood level as well. Uh, so so it means that people, you know, either don't care or have forgiven her for, for A, having evicted tenants I, th- I think most uh, people didn't ago. know. I think most people didn't know, and most people also were able to, to um, shunt that aside. I think that, you know, I'm not... I'm going to bring up Trump only as an example, <laughs> not to compare anyone here to Trump, but to compare the way people behave. In that, you know, uh, for whatever reason, people are willing to vote against their own self-interest and willing to overlook clear transgressions that that ought to disqualify one from from uh, from service for whatever reason. To me, uh, I think it was exceedingly off-putting for Susie Loftus to be placed into the office, you know, just just two weeks or so before the election, right as absentee ballots were coming in, and what was an obviously, transparently, inarguably political move that had no ration, rationale, in fact, other than, and no, no, no rationale other than to gin up name recognition and to give her an opportunity to, to run up but in the office. But some would argue, you know, that's, 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 that's the name of the game. But, that- this, is, but this is district attorney. You know, uh, the district attorney has has a job with consequences. If you just don't show up as a district supervisor, you're an ineffective district supervisor. District attorney, you know, people go to jail. <laughs> you know, it's it strikes me as being uh, cynically political. And, you know, personally, I resent having to choose between Susie's, you know, great career and that. That that strikes me that, that if I have to choose to validate, you know, this woman's very legitimate, you know, um, credentials, I have to then also validate this cynical political move, and I didn't. I didn't appreciate that, and I think a lot of people didn't appreciate that. And then with Valley Brown, the thing that, that struck me as the most repugnant is that her instinct—not that she did something wrong 25 years ago, or not even necessarily wrong—but she made a choice 25 years ago that we would object to now. Uh, it was an understandable choice, and and you know it could have been could have been explained. My objection, and I think a lot of people's objection, and we'll see if it's enough to to make a difference is that uh, in the present day, uh, the evicted tenants were defamed, mm-hmm. uh, that lies were told about uh, the circumstances, and that you know they were described as you know mindless, unthinking automatons and rubes uh, at the power of some rich white man, uh, which is a terrible condescending thing to do. So, okay, we're running out of time, Joe, but just uh, you know, really quickly, what are, what are, what are your predictions? Uh, I, I think you'd have to be 
you'd have it would be surprising but not but not earth shattering if anything happened other than Susie Loftus and Fally Brown winning. I wow. think that they have they have the inside track. And an eighty eight votes is just eighty eight votes, but 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 you know, today, Thursday, is going to uh, shed a lot of light, I think. Well, uh, thank thank you for that, Joe Eskenazi. Thank you for joining me. Um, my name is Julian Mark, and uh, this is Listen Local. Tune in uh, two weeks from now. Take care. <laughs>